Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for the show. And with me today, I have my friend Bob. Bob, welcome to, welcome back, I should say, to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, brother. Well, glad to be back. Quite a long time. <laughs> can you uh, can you catch us up on what's been happening in your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry projects that you've been uh, working on? I, I know you said that before we recorded, you have a few book projects and those things, too. Right, yes. Well, I'm a professor of uh, systematic and historical theology here at Union School of Theology in the UK. Yes, and I've been uh, part of my duties here. Um, I've written a book just being released next month on the Holy Spirit and written one or two other books as well along the way. And um, this is, we're moving back to the USA later this year, and I have a number of other contracts which are already signed for further work. Oh, so mixed with some preaching and continued supervision of PhD students, some teaching, I expect, so far. So I won't be idle. Yeah, for sure. We look forward to those future book projects and hearing how the Lord uses them, for sure. Well, can you can you tell us a bit about this uh, new book, uh, The Holy Spirit, On the Holy Spirit, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received, please? Well, why I wrote it, I was asked to do so by the publisher who approached me uh, for that and for a trilogy on the Trinitarian persons, this of which this will be the first. In fact, it was that followed um, the agreement to write this particular book. Um, It's really a book which uh, tries to develop a holistic view of the spirit. In other words, I'm not writing it specifically and directly to address any recent or contemporary issues that have arisen, but rather to present a, a uh, an account of the Spirit in the context of the Trinity, the indivisible Trinity, and in terms of biblical development of the biblical teaching on the spirit. Mm. So we get into a lot of historical material, and I'll probably explain that as we go along. There is an appendix where I address questions relating to the global Pentecostal movement. Uh, numbers of that are currently estimated at about 1 billion worldwide, which includes, of course, the traditional Pentecostal churches and also charismatic renewal movement within mainstream denominations, plus, of course, the more recent house church movements. And indeed, um, since it's global, and since the main strength of it is in Africa, uh, South America, and Asia, uh, the global movement as well, it's it's so vast that it's really impossible to, uh, to pin it down. And indeed, its its uh, leading exponents say that too that it's so multi uh, so diverse and so um, mm. um, 
different from place to place that you can, can it's very difficult to make and indeed impossible to make generalizations yeah yeah that's good uh if you're watching the video here uh i am putting up the the book which bob hasn't seen yet he hadn't seen it until i showed it to him before we recorded so we hope that you get a copy from pnr here soon um, right and, and, the post is rather slow at the moment uh, yeah yeah it's slow here too in the united states yeah. so I, that's understandable it's uh it's a good book it's it's easy to uh read and understand uh everything that you're saying and uh very very helpful and well done brother uh you were just uh mentioning you know the holy spirit and church history how important is it that we have a good understanding of the holy spirit from church history well, it's a question of uh, if we started uh, and confined ourselves entirely to our uh, to biblical exegesis, um, there are significant dangers to it. Um, the the past writings of leading theologians in the church, and the decisions reached by the ecumenical councils in the fourth century and onwards are crucial guides because they they themselves are the um, distillation of the best biblical exegesis that the church produced mm. and uh, it's always wise i think in anything we do not to operate as a kind of loose cannon or lone wolf uh, we are called each one to uh, submit to one another in the fear of christ and my position has always been that uh, to write in a Christian manner is to write within the parameters which are set down by the uh, by the historic church. Not that that's the prime authority; that's scripture. But we would deviate from that only if there was really overwhelming reason to do so. Mm, yeah, uh, and, and so consequently. Uh, what it will do is to keep us within appropriate bounds. Uh, for that, uh, for example, um, we we, uh, we we can really refer to uh, a number of groups which really sat down and said we we want to dispense with the councils of the church. Uh, we're going to simply study the Bible ourselves. Mm. And there's one no notable. Group in the 19th century did that, and they produced a journal entitled Studies in the Scriptures. We now know them as the Jehovah's Witnesses. In the 16th century, there were the Sicinians who were influenced by Faustus Socinus in the late 16th and through the 17th centuries. They had a rock-solid doctrine of Scripture. They believed it was the Word of God. They believed it should be taken literally, and they went on to deny every doctrine in the Christian faith. Wow. Um, so, really, yes, that that that, that is the, the the reason. And uh, and the one thing which I think stands out preeminently in the writings of people like uh, Basil the Great, Gregory of Nazianzus, Augustine, and Aquinas in the West um, is the indivisibility of the Trinity the inseparability of the works of the Trinity, mm. so that the Holy Spirit does not go off on his own to do his own thing, uh, autonomously or independently from the Father and the Son. 
all three work together in all the works of God, in creation, in providence, and in grace. And, and that, that, I think, is a preventative against an obsession with uh, and an undue attention to the Spirit, or indeed to any of the other Trinitarian persons. Uh, we need to view it in context. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really really helpful because, you know, you 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 just helpfully explained why we not only need scripture but also why we need church history. So, yeah. because God gave us God gave us teachers, He says in Ephesians four fifteen, uh, pastors and teachers, and you know th they're supposed to helpfully rightly interpret. The, the word you know so that so that we can learn how to do that and so you know we need we need the teachers not only for from today but from the past and you just really i think helpfully um explain that um how how does a good understanding of the holy spirit from church history help us avoid error on the person and the work of the holy spirit well i think that's uh something i've already hinted at all the way through um if a group comes up and produces ideas and teachings which are out of harmony with the way the church has historically understood it, we have a good reason to ask. Maybe in some cases it might be that there's been an undue uh, preoccupation uh, in, in certain directions in the past, uh, but maybe, uh, and in many cases it will be, that this new grouping itself has uh, has gone off at a tangent, and has uh, so. For example, uh, I'm not talking here about grassroots Pentecostalism or charismatic, but some of its leading exponents argue that in fact the climax of the history of redemption is not so much the death and resurrection of Christ as the Spirit coming at Pentecost. Uh, transforming the church and the world. Now, of course, uh, it is true that the Spirit came at Pentecost to, as it were, constitute the church in, uh, as an organic entity and with cosmic uh, entailments. But, of course, the, uh, the, the Old and New Testaments together point to the coming of Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection and ascension as the kind of fulcrum of the history of redemption. And in fact, this, this movement, um, it, and I'm talking here about leading theologians in the field, people like Frank McKeer, uh, Amos Young, and people like that, uh, the focus is instead upon the the coming of the Spirit. And so that, in a sense, somewhat eclipses Christ and the work of Christ, or at least has that tendency uh, to eclipse it. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, it is very important to measure that kind of uh, trajectory which has been set in motion. Really good. Yeah, I think, um, well, we're going to talk about this here in a minute, but maybe just to lead into this question. I think, I think that if we got a good hold of, as you were saying earlier, the scripture and the understanding of the Holy Spirit on from church history, um, and then how the reformers, especially the Puritans, viewed the Holy Spirit, we we would we would be much better. I think even in contemporary, and I know you said you're not addressing contemporary, uh, you know, 
Christianity today necessarily, but I think if in contemporary Christianity today, if we got a good hold on what you're about to talk about here, I think that would really help us. So um, how does a recovery of the Reformed and the Puritan understanding of the Holy Spirit help the Christian today? Well, I think there's two ways. One is a conservative um, direction, and it, it, it simply goes back on what I just said. The Reformers and the Puritans themselves were steeped in the discussions of a Christian doctrine which had preceded them. You only have to look, for example, at the minutes and papers of the Westminster Assembly, which were published a few years back, five volumes by Oxford University Press, and to see the record of debates there, that they were quoting left, right and centre from uh, the fathers, from the medieval theologians and from, the, and from their own contemporaries, including, in fact, Robert Bellarmine, the leading Roman Catholic um, apologist, who they treated with respect. Um, so that, that's the one thing. It is, to, it is to underline what I said earlier, but that is the way the Reformers and the Puritans uh, went about things. But the second, I suppose the one distinctive feature about Reformed and Puritan theology of the Holy Spirit is their um, focus upon the relation between the Spirit and the Word, mm. which, of course, is a, a byproduct of the indivisibility of the Trinity. Um, the Spirit and the Word work together inseparably. Mm. Um, and that was hammered home very much by Calvin and the Westminster Confession and Catechisms also mentioned that. Uh, I, I wrote a book on the uh, Westminster Assembly and its uh, proceedings and its theology, and there's a section there in which I sketch that out in the in the documents there, the Cate Confession and Catechisms of the Westminster Assembly. So I think those, those two things together, and in doing so, of course, it roots the work of the Holy Spirit in and with the word, the word proclaimed, the word preached, uh, the word which, of course, ultimately, in, in the ultimate sense, is, of course, uh, Jesus Christ also. It takes us back, of course, to, as I say, to the unity of the Trinity. Yeah, that's really good, brother, really good. Uh, many people today claim that God speaks to them and they hear directly from God outside of Scripture. How does this view undermine the sufficiency of Scripture and the ministry of the Spirit to the Christian today? Well, I've already mentioned about the Spirit, Word and the Spirit together. Uh, where do we find unequivocally and clearly and without contradiction the words uh, emitted by the Holy Spirit? We find them in Scripture. Uh, Paul mentions that the, all Scripture was given breathed out by God, uh, Theopneustos. And Peter adds to that in 2 Peter chapter 1, that men spoke from God as they were swept along by the Holy Spirit. Now, those are just two texts, but they encapsulate really the overall theme of both Old and New Testaments. God's word is uh, ultimately spoken through human means, through human agents who contributed their own personality 
their own gifts to the writing. So to, it was indeed theirs as well. It was, it was Paul's writing or John's or Isaiah's. Nevertheless, the ultimate author, the original author, was God. God, the Holy Spirit, breathing it out. So in a sense, that undermines the idea that the Spirit speaks sporadically and haphazardly directly to individuals. Um, it, 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 it preeminently, it's his word written where we find the will of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And any claims to uh, special direct revolution, revelation by the Holy Spirit have, at the very least, to be tested against the, uh, the word of uh, uh, the Holy Spirit found in Scripture. And in fact, um, it is there, as Paul says, that uh, Scripture is given that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for all good works. So there's nothing lacking which the Spirit forgot to mention or hasn't mentioned, which can in any way be added to what he has already uh, given in Scripture. That's a that's a really that's a really good answer. Really good. Um, what are some of the main aims of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian? Transformation is the main one. In transformation into the image of Christ, um, you have that in. Particularly, draw your attention to Second Peter, uh, Second Corinthians, chapter three. Verses 17 to 18, Romans chapter 8, and so on, just as sample selections. Uh, Paul writes that in there in 2 Corinthians that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of the Lord. So that in the words of John, when Jesus Christ returns, we shall see him as he is in 1 John chapter 3, and we shall be like him. So the acid test, then, is conformity to Christ, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, all of which are found, of course, in, in Christ. So it's in union with Christ, in dependence on the Spirit, that we are transformed through the Word, through prayer, and through the sacraments, the Lord's Supper. In particular, really great answer. Yeah. So, so I I often post Bible quotes on you know social media, and I get back uh, from people that they say you know no Holy Spirit, no Christian, and this is this is often what what you hear from people that are in the New Apostolic Reformation. One of their critiques of somebody like you and me would be that we, you know we don't have the spirit because we're so well educated in those types of things and so on oh. and so forth which is which is utterly ridiculous but but this is why i'm asking you know this this question because uh to to so people can understand i know you you've come at it this probably a couple of different ways already but how does the Holy Spirit use the means of grace, you know, personally, Bible reading and so on and so forth, and corporately in the life of the Christian? Well, it's uh, through it's it's through uh, faith in Jesus Christ, of course, and the Spirit has appointed such means uh, for our growth. Um, you find in the Old Testament that God may arrange special feast days, and it was precisely on those feast days 
that these significant events in the history of redemption occurred when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, uh, not a day earlier or later. It was on the day of Passover that Jesus was crucified. It was on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Spirit came at Pentecost. So God honoured the feast he'd appointed in the Old Testament. He keeps his appointments, and those appointments are the preaching of the word and the sacraments. Now, of course, also, uh, the Spirit works through means and create and salvation. It's not just the salvation of the soul. It's the salvation of the whole person, and indeed it is the salvation and redemption of the church and the renewal of the universe. So matter and spirit, creation and redemption, the whole person, the whole world are involved in God's redemptive purposes. And therefore to set a relation with the Holy Spirit over against the use of the means God has appointed is in fact quite contrary. It in fact owes more to a, a dualism between spirit and matter, uh, mind and spirit, which is not only alien to the Bible, it comes from pagan thought. So I would say just from the little you've explained of that movement, it sounds to me that it's influenced by a pagan dualist way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. They they want, you know, I mean, first off, we would say that the Christian has the spirit. Any Christian who yeah. doesn't have the spirit is Quite. dwelt by the spirit. And that happens at the moment of conversion. But, yeah. you know, so, you know, it's impossible um, to, it's impossible. If you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, we can say you're not a Christian, you know, because you're not, you haven't been justified. And, and right. so this is a, this is kind of a, a, a way to insult those who, who, you know, take Jesus' word seriously to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. It's a, it's a way of, you know, talking down to us and belittling the argument. And it's just a, it's just a at home. I think it's an ad homium argumentation. Yeah. And, uh, first, first John was written precisely for a group uh, to, to encourage the church in the face of a group which was had very similar um, elitist uh, but unbiblical ideas. Uh, that seems to counter that kind of thinking very well. Yeah. Yes, I mean, Paul says, no one can say and confess Jesus as Lord except through the work of the Holy Spirit. How does a good understanding of the Holy Spirit affect the ministry of the church? Well, um, because that's way, that's really how the church of Jesus Christ is not only established, but is maintained. It's through the, the life which the Holy Spirit imparts. Um, Pentecost is a great example of that, and uh, we're dependent on the Spirit all the time. So what, what that uh, should encourage is that kind of sense of dependence upon God, which issues forth in prayer and should pervade the whole life of, of, of the church. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you discuss uh, Pentecostalism and the charismatic renewal movement in the appendix. Uh, why did you why did you cover those two in the appendix? Because I didn't want to uh, a book to be governed 
by um, questions which are in current debate and current, uh, but present a theology of the Holy Spirit, which then gives uh, gives one the parameters and the framework within which to evaluate not merely a movement such as that, but anything else which crops up as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's really good, really good. Yeah, because so much in the last, from particularly the reformed side of the fence, has been governed by a disagreement, say, with Pentecostalism and charismatic theology. It's a kind of, uh, so those things can kind of lead to an obsession, which in turn can... Uh, can distort one's own thinking. Once you get into a conflict, it has a polarizing effect. And in wanting to uh, guard against particular extremes, people go to the other extreme. And that makes the problem, if anything, even worse. So the thing is to get a develop a holistic uh, and overall view rooted in history, grounded in scripture, and so on. Then you can evaluate fairly. Uh, um, new movements which occur yeah 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 i like that because you got to understand what it is first before you can yeah you know evaluate those things in light right. of scripture so that's really good well brother i don't think you're you're not on social media right no i'm not yeah i, I didn't think so so we'll, we'll yes. avoid that question but where can people find you on the internet on your website or other things i don't have a website uh but just do a Google search, I think. Just enter my name and there'll yeah. be information there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, there's a there's a lot that we haven't covered in the course of this interview, and there is a lot that we could talk about, Bob. But just as we wrap up, do you have any takeaways for those who listen and watch this show? Well, I would say um, keep reading, keep praying, be part of your church, serve the lord and your your family uh and uh yes i think that's what anybody would say properly to anyone else so, uh, and trust in uh, god uh, trust in the holy spirit in union with christ that you might bring glory in your daily living to the father mm. wonderful brother well, guys, we've been talking today with my friend Bob about his new book on the Holy Spirit. It is really good. It explains what the Holy Spirit, what the who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit aims to do. And then, as Bob said so well, he gives you some uh, tools to evaluate current movements in light of that teaching. So I encourage you guys to pick this book up. You'll be helped by it. It is easy to read, and it is it is rich in scripture and in church history. So thank you, Bob, for your work. Sure. Great pleasure. Great pleasure. And thank you for joining yeah. us today. Sure, indeed. And all the best to you and your Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.